you, you really can't predict these things short term. There's an old saying by uh, kind of one of the fathers of investing, if you will, Benjamin Graham. He said, in the short run, the market's a voting machine, but in the long run, it's a weighing machine. Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to retire smarter. Welcome to another edition of Retire Smarter. Walter Storholt here with you alongside Kevin Krosky, President and Wealth Advisor at True Wealth Design, serving you in Northeast Ohio, Southwest Florida, and the greater Pittsburgh area. It's a big triangle service area that you've drawn, Kevin, essentially from, you know, it's very, uh, what is that, the old, ooh, I'm going to pull out some old geometry here. Um, is that the isosceles. isosceles triangle? It's exactly, yes, yes, yes very skinny and long. I knew you'd pick right up where I was going with that. Fantastic. I was going to ask you the same question, but look at that, Walter, our relationship. We're just finishing each other's thoughts and sentences these days. You you may trip me up well on math, but I'll have you know, I was a pretty darn good math student back in the day. So I don't know why when I put the headphones on, all of a sudden I become an idiot when it comes to the, your math questions, but I did well back in my in my math studies. You do day. well today too, Walter. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, happy 2021 to you, sir. First show of the new year. Uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you know, last year was just such a strange year. I, I figured it was appropriate that we take a look back and, uh, just go through the year and, uh, what we, what happened and some, certainly some major things still going on, uh, both with, uh, the coronavirus and <laughs> unfortunately with the elections, I guess the elections are over, but, um, the political ramifications of them aren't, but um, I think there's definitely some nuggets uh, that we can pull out and take with us positively and, and learn from and looking back and then making smarter decisions going forward. So I thought that's what we would do today. I didn't uh, I didn't catch many of them, but you know how all the like major news stations and the morning shows will all put together, you know, probably a five or six minute year in review kind of highlight reel of things that happened from the year. I don't envy the people that had to put that together for 2020 because that must have been quite the task to because they always have a mix of, you know, the bad news and the good news of the year. And it was just like so skewed to one side, it seemed all year long that must have been just sort of like a very daunting task to try and put that 2020 uh, year into perspective uh, for the major networks. But from a financial perspective, I think that's a little bit more doable task. So yeah, what I feel like it's a weird question to say what stood out to you in 2020 and, and worthy of review on the show, because it seems like those answers are obvious, but I know you'll always have a good spin and perspective on things. Well, I'll certainly, I'll, I'll do my best. You know, obviously we have to, to go back to the beginning of the year. And if we think about the year, uh, interest rates were, were, were going lower. Um, they were already low and they were going lower. They started the decline in, uh, in 2019. And stocks had done pretty well in 2019. So they were coming into 2020 pretty expensive. Uh, a lot of the increase in the stock market in, in 19 really wasn't the result of earnings, but it was more the result of just people bidding up prices. And so, you know, we're coming into the year and had a little trepidation as certain things looked a little expensive and uh, just trying to build that all weather portfolio and help people meet their goals and stay on track for retirement. And and then COVID hits, right? And, um, you know, this is the first time uh, anybody here domestically went through the kind of shutdown that we went through. So I think it snuck up on most people. Certainly it snuck up on me, but um, I think it was maybe like late uh, January when the first 
person in the U.S. was uh, at least diagnosed to have it. And then it seemed like, eh, okay, you know, we've seen this before, SARS, MERS, what have you, swine flu, and these things just kind of come and go. And and then it really kind of picked up speed. And, uh, you know, by the time mid-March rolled around, uh, the World Health Organization declared the pandemic and, and we were locked down mid-March. And, I mean, it was just... It was breathtaking, you know, kind of going through it. You know, markets in general don't like uncertainty, and this was certainly uncertain, if you will. And when the market reached its peak in mid-February, was, I think it was like February 19th or so, the S&P 500, the U.S. market, fell about 34% in less than five weeks. It never fallen to that degree that quickly. Uh, so it was historical in that regard. People were panicking. You know, it was a health-induced uh, crisis. You know, people were scared about dying. People were concerned about their health and their loved ones. I think it only added to you know just the uncertainty and the panic that was that was palpable for for several weeks. And you know, certainly the market responded uh, to it because people sold stocks, took money out of the market, and basically moved to cash or moved to bonds. And some of the things that we talked about, you know, it, when I go back to looked at the podcast episodes, you know, we were, we started talking about, you know, hey, making sure that we're, we're, we're staying focused, we're staying diversified, we're staying disciplined, we're not really reacting. And I was just trying to keep people disciplined. I went back and listened to a few of the podcasts that we recorded. And in the throes of it in March, you could, I could anyway, just hear it in my voice where, um, you know, we were, we were really busy every day just doing work that we needed to do for clients in terms of, you know, adjusting their portfolios, harvesting tax losses, rebalancing their portfolios, making sure that, you know, they were still on track, that we didn't need to make any spending adjustments kind of mid-year. Who knows what was going to happen? I mean, I think most people would have thought that it was going to last a lot longer, at least in terms of the market decline or uh, than it did. Um, but some of the things that we talked about were, you know, really not trying to time the market. Um, certainly, you know, it sounds great. Who wouldn't want to participate only when the market's going up? Uh, but it just doesn't work. The theory behind it we talked through in one of the episodes in March was that, you know, theoretically 80% of market timing strategies fail. And then I went through the actual evidence of different mutual fund managers that uh, are in what Morningstar calls the tactical asset allocation category. And over the time period that I analyzed, um, coincidentally, or maybe not coincidentally, 78% of the those funds uh, underperformed over the, the prior three years and 89% underperformed over the prior five years. So, you know, the theory was 80%. The actual was about that or worse, you know, net of all fees. So, you know, you, you go through those time periods and you're scared. Um, you're not sure, you know, what to do. You see the market going down and, you know, it's you just kind of project forward linearly that it can only get worse. But, you know, if you move to cash, uh, the market reached a bottom on March 23rd. And then if we just looked from, say, the end of April, excuse me, the beginning of April uh, to the end of the year, you know, the market, the S&P 500 uh, returned 68%. Bonds, if you moved into aggregate bonds, you didn't do too bad, but, you know, you did 6%, you know, or one-tenth of what the market did. So, you know, huge difference there. So, unfortunately, a lot of people you know, moved out um, in general. I mean, you could just see this from the, the flows and people, you know, having more cash on the sidelines and kind of an aggregate. 
we really didn't have any clients that did it. I can think of one client, unfortunately, that did it. But um, outside of that, you know, we didn't have clients that did that. We certainly had a lot of conversations about people that were concerned. And uh, as we talked about on the podcast, tried to dissuade them from doing so. And, and generally, we were successful in doing so. And that's benefited them, you know, looking back. But the thing that uh, we always talk about and, and tried to really um, explain to people is, hey, the market's forward looking. You know, things are really uncertain right now. The market is sold off. Now is not the time to go ahead and, and kind of lock in those losses. You know, we don't know exactly the course that this is going to take, but you know, the markets are going to be forward looking. When you're buying, you know, uh, shares of Apple, you're not just buying earnings for one year, you're buying earnings for the next 20 or 30 years. And uh, just trying to keep people in perspective. Um, from a financial planning standpoint, you know, none of the money that you're going to be using, or at least none of the money that you should be using, is going to be in stocks, uh, say, over the course of the next few years. Uh, I like to call this runway. You know, you need to have some safer, higher quality assets that you can rely on to go ahead and meet your spending objectives for whatever it may be, anything that's not being met by your your pension, your social security, or what have you, and that you can go ahead and pull down uh, in times of distress like we went through earlier in the year. And so we, one of the things that we did in March, we kind of ran a fire drill and um, uh, through our systems, we just really kind of went through and calculated like how much runway do all of our clients have? You know, who's kind of most at risk of needing to make a change? And, and we just went through that um, in, in relatively short order. Uh, there's you know a fair amount of spreadsheet and manual work that was involved, uh, but you know we we went and took a look at that, and then the ones that were maybe more at risk, we dove deeper and and really kind of looked into that. And the ones that you know we knew that had a lot of runway. I mean, some of our clients, um, you know, they might have 20 years of runway just because they've done really well saving and investing over the years, and they live below their means. Um, you know, a lot of those clients we talked about. Hey, the market sold off a lot. Yeah, things are still really uncertain, but the price actually looks fairly attractive. So maybe we can be opportunistic here and increase risk. And uh, as we've talked about in prior podcasts, we did that for for many of our clients. Uh, did it in a diversified fashion over you know a period of a few weeks. So these are all things that you know have happened more recently. If you think about. Um, Actually, one other thing just came to mind. We, I think it was mid-year, Walter, we talked about, it was a survey from Institutional Investor Magazine. And uh, basically um, the question was, uh, let's see, is the market factoring in the long-term implications of the coronavirus too little or too much? And 65% of the investors surveyed said it was um, too little. And so that I think that survey was done either in late June or early July. But if you look at the market returns from July through the end of the year, the S&P was up more than 22% and uh, bonds were up just, uh, you know, a pretty meager 1% at that point in time. So you really can't predict these things short term. There's an old saying by uh, kind of one of the fathers of investing, if you will, Benjamin Graham. He said in the short run, the market's a voting machine, but in the long run, it's a weighing machine. And, uh, you know, I don't exactly know the context of when he when he came up with that saying, but, you know, the votes and, uh, can be a little bit more all over the place. People could be swayed. People, you know, could just go ahead and, and kind of follow the herd, if you will. Uh, whereas, you know, the weighing machine long term, you know, you're going to you know how much you're going to weigh um, and you're just going to get a true measurement. Um, long term, you know, we really get uh, earnings growth drives the returns of stocks over time. Short term, there's a lot more sentiment and emotion and uh, some bad behavior, if you will. And you can't predict that. 
Um, so that's really why you have to come back and, and really rely on the plan that you have, making sure that you have enough runway, making sure that you have enough high quality assets, but also looking forward uh, to you know where the returns are likely to be in the future and how to position yourself to go ahead and take advantage of them. One last thing I want to mention, at least from the investment perspective, is just diversification. You know, it's something that you know you should never abandon. Um, <laughs> we'll talk more about this probably in a future episode too. But uh, one of the things that I like to say is, anytime that you look at your investment portfolio, there's probably something you should be unhappy with. Because if everything is you know zigging together or zagging together, it probably means you're not diversified. You know, when uh, things happen in March, higher quality bonds, Treasury bonds, you know, did well. Um, Long-term government bonds went up quite a bit earlier in the year when stocks are selling off. Uh, so, you know, you need that. And then on the, the stock side of it, you know, you need to stay broadly diversified across companies, industries, sectors. Certainly, we all know that airline, hospitality, retail, um, all that travel and leisure has just been taken out to the woodshed in 2020 when anything kind of like online shopping, technology, communications, uh, companies like Zoom or what have you emerged as winners. So, you know, you, you never really want to abandon diversification. You want to stay broadly diversified. Um, you want to, you, you have to know the markets are forward looking. Um, you need to be able to think that way as well. You know, sometimes what's going on in the economy will not match up with what's happening in the investment markets like we saw in spades uh, in late March and April and, and since then. And market timing, even though it sounds great, it just doesn't work. You know, um, you, you have to, you have to really have a process. You have to have a plan and you have to stick to it. I was just uh, kind of emerged from the year of 2020 with just this really weird dual feeling of the world is in this, you know, tenuous spot, right? Like there's just still just a lot of uncertainty around the election and the fallout that we've seen since then with the the protests and then the storming the Capitol and, um, you know, still coronavirus questions. And we endured all of this through 2020 and it's still ongoing into 2021. I think we all joked that it was nice for that year to come to an end, but we were also fooling ourselves if we thought just the calendar, you know, turning a page was going to actually stop some of the bad stuff from 2020 from continuing. But I just think these very mixed emotions about the market and investing, Kevin, I don't know if you have other people who have kind of come to you feeling this way as well, but like we, we saw how the market can be exposed as a dangerous place when we saw those rapid declines at the beginning of the coronavirus. And even though we've then seen the evidence of how it bounced back through the year, I'm still at this point now not knowing what these next couple of weeks are going to look like politically, and it puts you right back in that same kind of feeling of that unknown, that uncertainty, the good times can't last forever, are we going to just go diving, nose diving right back down and see another humongous loss in our portfolios? And especially since 2008 isn't that far in the rearview mirror, I don't know, just as an investor and a saver, uh, maybe because all these things have happened recently, they feel more impactful. But it sure feels like the roller coaster of the market has gotten to be a lot more like, you know, the vortex ride at the local amusement park at Cedar Point uh, versus the Scooby-Doo ride. That maybe it looks like if you look at historical charts where the dramatic things that happened were, you know, less frequent. There was the one or two exciting ups and downs occasionally. Now it's like one of those roller coasters that just twists all over the place. And I don't know, as an investor and a saver, that can just be hard to like emotionally kind of like keep up with it all. Uh, well, yeah, great point. Don't keep up with it. Okay, okay, gotcha. <laughs> don't, don't look at it. <laughs> that's the simple answer, Walter. Uh, and that's probably the right one, too. I mean, we, you know, the there's been different studies over the years that it shows that, you know, the more 
attention you pay to it, the less you tend to do. Warren Buffett said it quite well. Um, investing is like soap. Um, the more you handle the investments, the less you have. Uh, so, you know, I think that's... What a what a comparison. Wow, that's good. Yeah, I mean, he's just brilliant. I hadn't as, heard that as, one before. That's really good. Yeah, um, really, really good. That's one of my favorites for sure. Um, but, you know, there's the market was actually quite calm um, for, for many, many years. Um, uncharacteristically calm. Uh, really... The fall of 2008, the fourth quarter of 2018, excuse me, um, was was volatile and kind of came out of uh, somewhat out of nowhere. Um, market sold off a lot, nearly went down 20%, I believe. Um, bonds sold off. You know, 2018 was a terrible year. Basically, everything went down that year, bonds and stocks. Uh, and that was kind of the first ripple that we had had for, for many, many years um, after the great financial crisis. And so I would say that that period of calmness was abnormal. You know, we certainly have had some of these major events like the tech bubble, 2008. And I guess we could put... Uh, you know, 2020, you know, COVID on there too, where you have these really big declines that uh, historically had been more like once in a generation, but it seems like it's it's happened more frequently. But I wouldn't necessarily draw any conclusions from that. Um, you know, time will tell quite honestly whether it, it is something. I mean, markets are certainly more connected. Uh, global economies are certainly more connected. The information flow is is more. So I think there's certainly a, a thesis there that, you know, maybe we are likely to continue to have more of these ups and downs to these large degrees that we've had. Um, but but we, we've we also had these extended period of calm markets. I mean, we went through, it was probably 2018. I was just getting really concerned like, hey, this is not normal. You know, returns have been great, but clients are going to think this is normal. And so we would just gave them a little survey before uh, we had our progress meetings. And it was basically, hey, you know, how often does the market go down 10% and then how often does it go down 20%? And um, you just gave them multiple choice answers. And virtually everybody thought that the market went down to those degrees um, much, much less than what it actually has done historically. So my, uh, my thinking was right. People were thinking like, hey, this is great. You know, I mean, this is just going to keep going. You know, we're not going to have big declines and everything's going to be hunky-dory. And I was just trying to prepare them mentally, um, letting them know and reminding them that, hey, the market's normally not like this, that, you know, we are going to have these hiccups. And certainly it's been smooth sailing for now. But who knows uh, when that next, you know, wave is going to come out of the blue and kind of knock us over. But regardless of that from the investment perspective, we're still fine from a planning perspective. And, you know, you mentioned the uh, the elections and, you know, I, we, we talked about this, uh, I think in September, you know, it's, it's every four years, it's always a question that comes up. And so, you know, it tends to be good that we can communicate about it. And, you know, we all have beliefs, uh, I always like to say, but we have more than 200 years of history and evidence what happened in our country around these elections and in the market. So I prefer to rely on the history and evidence rather than, you know, speculation and your political beliefs. And one of the things that, that, uh, when I was preparing for that the talk that we had, um, I found a Pew Research poll that was uh, done in January of 2020. And um, it, they just looked at Democrats and Republicans, uh, and it was uh, also compared to a time period of 2016. And they just asked, you know, hey, do you have a positive view of the economy? And November 2016, Trump wasn't uh, elected yet. Only 18% of surveyed Republicans had a positive view of the economy. Uh, and uh, then in uh, January of 2020, 
uh, of surveyed Republicans had a positive view of the economy. I don't know if it was the same people were surveyed or not. I didn't look that closely. Uh, the Democrats, on the other hand, uh, 46% were positive in November 16 and 39% were positive in January 20. Um, so I, I kind of quipped that, you know, certainly the Republicans were, seemed to be more fickle, but the Dems just seemed to be constantly negative. Um, so, you know, you, you have these perceptions, um, and we were having conversations uh, with people, particularly a lot of more of our conservative clients about concerns about the election and what have you. Actually, I mean, it was both, but, you know, the concern was, well, what if the election's contested? And what if, you know, there's no clear winner? And what if this person wins? What if Biden wins or what have you? And, you know, candidly, mo most of the worst case came to fruition. Um, we had no immediate winner. Um, it was a contested election. Um, it was messy. And uh, for uh, a lot of the people that lean red, you know, their guy didn't necessarily win. But um, guess what? The market still went up. And then, I, to me, anyway, more surprisingly, when we had the the runoff election for uh, for Georgia, I mean, I think the betting polls when they opened were like seventy percent that it was uh, the Republicans were going to hold on to the Senate, and uh, apparently the polls were actually right for this one. But um, I was really surprised that you know both Democrats uh, won that election. I, and, I think if you went back and listened to one of our end of year shows, uh, we were kind of assuming that we were headed for a little bit of that gridlock. We were kind of penciling yes. in. Just we just sort of kind of made that, uh, you know, what happens when you assume. And, and, you know, I think that's fine. We're not afraid to admit that, uh, you know, we were, you know, didn't assume correctly <laughs> in, in that example. So it's interesting. Yeah. Oh, completely interesting. And, and guess what? And, when that, and I would say that was a surprise. And, and the market went up that day. So, you know, you don't, the market tends to do well, regardless of who's in power, you know, I'm not saying politics don't matter, but the U.S. economy, uh, the U.S. investment markets and the global economy for that matter, I mean, we're investing globally when we invest. Um, it's a lot more than who's just in the White House or who's controlling the Senate or what have you. But, um, but it, it didn't even seem like the market blinked in the middle of the Capitol being stormed into. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> right? not even nudged. It's like it's disassociated from reacting to the news all of a sudden, even. It's just got a mind of its own. It's, it's, I've, I heard somebody say it's, it's Teflon. Nothing can beat it. And I have a feeling we're setting ourselves up for <laughs> a cruel reality if we're getting that strong about it. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. I was, uh, I was happy to kind of turn the page on 2020 and get a fresh start. And we were looking really good for five days and then our capital got stormed. And uh, unfortunately, I think five people ended up dead. I mean, it's uh, crazy. I mean, just good, can't believe it. And, and I think it's even worse, some of the details that are coming out now. And um, so a lot of the people that had concerns about the election, I mean, I would say it's probably about as bad as what they could have thought. And yet, if you would have panicked out, um, you would have missed a lot of strong positive returns. So, you know, you, you can't, I, I hope people are going to learn from this. Um, I hope, you know, we've provided evidence. I've written articles. I've used history. Um, but, you know, people are people. You know, people are emotional at the core. The emotional part of our brain works more quickly than the rational part of our brain. It worked really well when we were cavemen or needed to survive the bear in the woods, but it, you know, it hurts us when there's a bear market and we behave irrationally. But, you know, most of our clients haven't acted um, what I would call 
somewhat irresponsibly, financially speaking, um, from a financial and investment standpoint. You know, we stick to the process. We try to stay disciplined. We have a plan. We try to make it clear. We try to use evidence. We try to show them what this really means to them in terms of, hey, is it really going to impact your lifestyle? Where's your money coming from? You know, do we have time to sort this stuff out? How much runway do we have? All those things come together. Uh, but you know, in general, if you're being reactive, if you're being emotional, you're probably not making a good decision. Um, it just doesn't work that well when it comes to investing. So, you know, we'll see what happens, you know, moving forward, there's always going to be some crazy du jour something else is going to come up. Most of the content in the USA today or whatever journal or article or news media outlet that you're watching tends to be negative. Um, if it bleeds, it leads the saying goes, you know, kind of, you know, the message of, Hey, keep your investments, low cost, stay diversified, be prudent. I mean that I don't, maybe you, you sell one issue money magazine with that, uh, cover story, Walter, but I, I gotta imagine you're not selling that month in month out sort of thing. So, you know, it's, I get it. It's the way that the world is today. We're inundated with uh, different media sources, but you just got to kind of cut out the noise and focus on what matters and then try to ignore the things that don't. Yeah, when I was the news director at a uh, local radio station, um, the stories that we would do about the um, local festival or the, uh, you know, there's a new business opening up over here. Well, sometimes those would be popular, depending if it was like a cool restaurant, then people would be interested. But for the most part, the feel-good stuff, yeah, that doesn't get the clicks. But uh, I think the uh, headline that got us the most clicks of all time when I was the news director was, Man Punched in Face Downtown. (laughs) 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 The story got liked and shared and uh, talked about more than any other story. And it was just a story about a guy who was walking downtown and got randomly sucker punched in the face. (laughs) And, uh, you know, but people were like, Oh, conflict. Yes, let's read about that. So, uh, it does drive the news. The the bleeds it leads mentality is uh, is definitely forefront for a lot of people. Yeah, and so if you just looked at the full year returns, you know the the U.S. market was up about eighteen percent. S and P five hundred. Emerging markets were up about eighteen percent. Foreign developed markets were up about eight, and then U.S. aggregate bonds were up about eight. You know, if you just looked at it like, wow, what a great year. And, you know, if you just went to sleep for a whole year and that's all you saw when you woke up, you know, think about everything that we went through in between and that's where we ended up. I mean, you, you, you can't time this stuff, short, certainly in the short term. Again, there's some evidence where you can kind of overweight or underweight you know, cheap or expensive assets over more so the medium term or so, but we're talking, you know, several years there to have any reliability in the outcome. Short term, nobody knows what's going to happen. You know, no, any of the predictions that are being made right now for 2021 are going to be wrong. If they're right, they're only going to be by accident or by luck. It's just the way that things go. Um, so you need a plan. And then, you know, after you have that financial plan, after you have that retirement plan, with your investments, you need that science-based process to go back and align the investments to your financial plan. Uh, and then simply put, you just need to tune out the noise and stick to the plan and the process. You know, if you need to go ahead and, and uh, it doesn't mean that you just don't do anything, you sudden forget it. There's, there's tons of things to do. There's tons of things that we did, you know, going through the downturn earlier this year. You know, again, rebalancing, tax loss harvesting, maybe making adjustments to the plan or the spending plans, being opportunistic for some people and increasing risk and and ultimately earning greater returns at this point in time. There's a lot of things to do, but it's still all plan emanates from 
the plan and it's all process driven. Um, it's not emotional knee jerk reactions. So I think that's, you know, hopefully it's, it's a similar, I could say the same message on every podcast, but hopefully we can learn from the extraordinary events of 2020 and maybe take this with us to help us make us smarter investors moving forward. Yep, at least take the opportunity to reflect and look forward and, and remember the feelings that we had in 2020 and how you reacted. And is that the way you want to react and uh, make decisions in the next crisis and the next thing that comes along? Uh, certainly, if we can kind of embrace and remember some of those feelings and uh, you know the way that we reacted in the past, we might be able to improve it going forward. Or if we did well the first time around, make sure we do it again the next time we need to be faced with, you know, big decisions like, do I stay in the market? You know, do I go against Kevin's guidance that he's giving me because my gut's telling me something else? You know, what, how do those conversations play out? All good things to be thinking about going forward because it's not a matter of if, but when the next big crisis comes along and how will you react to it? especially when it comes to your finances. If you need help analyzing how you're currently positioned and prepared financially and for retirement and your financial future, don't hesitate to reach out to Kevin. The number to call is 855-TWD-PLAN. That's 855-893-7526. And you can always go online to truewealthdesign.com. Click the Are We Right For You button and schedule a 15-minute call with an experienced advisor on the True Wealth team. Kevin, thanks for the help. We'll look forward to another conversation with you soon. Thank you, Walter. Talk to you soon. That's Kevin Krosky. I'm Walter Storholt. We'll talk to you next time on Retire Smarter. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.